If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens. Happy day, pet lovers, and welcome to Pet Lover Geek. Today, we are going to be investigating puppy mills, and we're going to start by talking about you know poor breeding practices, how they harm animal welfare in general, and how you, uh, as the regular citizen out there, can help stop these kind of things from happening. But first off, we're going we're gonna to take a really close look at some simple genetics and how poor breeding practices are harmful to dogs overall, just not only their well-being and their lifespan, but to the pet population as a whole. And to help us explore this product pro, uh, topic, we've invited Dr. Gerald Bell. He's an adjunct professor, professor of clinical genetics at Tufts University, the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. And he's going to come on today and talk with us about this. So welcome to the show, Dr. Bell. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so to start off, uh, a lot of breeds that are out there that are you know, associated with uh, puppy mills or with, with big breeding practices are prone to certain health issues. Can you sh- share some of those common health problems that breeds face, particularly when you're looking at, you know, poor breeding practices? Okay. So in actuality, um, the, uh, we see as veterinarians uh, genetic diseases in our, in our um, cl- patients every day. And the most common genetic diseases we see in mixed breed animals as much as we see in purebred animals. And the, t- the top five genetic diseases that we see are allergic skin diseases, which includes um, out inhalant allergies, ear infections, uh, um, uh, and those types of, of things, hot spots, um, and so forth. Canine hip dysplasia. Um, we, because of the popularity of the short-faced breeds, we see dogs with the with the brachycephalic obstructive airway disorder, um, and these are these are dogs with very short snouts that have difficulty breathing, and that can cause a lot of uh, health problems as well as death. And and most of those are going to be related to the pugs, the bulldogs, and the French bulldogs, mm-hmm. or um, the Boston being, Terriers, which I've got one beside me right now. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, and cranial cruciate ligament rupture and uh, or ACL rupture. Um, and most people would say, well, wait a second, that's a traumatic disease that, that we see as an injury. Um, however, we, it is a highly, <clears throat> excuse me, a highly heritable disease. Um, and when we have studies done on families and on the genetics of it, uh, we find that there's a lot of heredity uh, heredity there due to the structure of the leg, and we see that in in certain body types in mixed breed dogs as much as we see in purebred dogs. So the most common genetic diseases are not diseases of purebred dogs; it's it's diseases of all dogs. Um, what we do see in purebreds is that um, is that many breeds have breed specific genetic diseases um, that were caused by. Um, by focusing on, on certain uh, um, body types and structures and behaviors that limited the genetic background of those breeds when they were being formed, and along the way came some mutations that eventually turned into breed-related disease. But most of those diseases are very low in frequency and not what we see all the time. Many of these diseases, most veterinarians will never see at all during their careers because they're very low-frequency diseases. So the most, the most important 
latent diseases are ones that we see across all all breed lines and mixed breed lines. So would you say then that, because I want to make sure that, that we're clear when we're talking about this, when, when, you're, when we're talking about irresponsible breeding versus responsible breeding, uh, you know, what, what makes that problematic then if that's not causing disease? Okay, so, so responsible breeding means breeding when an individual is deciding who they're going to breed. So, so mutts that are, are breeding on their own out in the world, there's nothing we can do about that. And, and, uh, but if someone is breeding, and, and so right now there's a lot of breeding of mixed breed dogs, of uh, designer dogs and of mixed breed dogs, just, just uh, feeling that they're going to be healthy because they're mixed breed. And if you're not looking for the common genetic diseases that we see in dogs and selecting and doing genetic screening for those before you select what dogs are being bred, you're not going to reduce the incidence of those diseases. So, so a health-conscious breeder is a responsible breeder that does genetic screening for disease, regardless of what they are breeding, whether they're purebred or mixed breed, and, uh, and selecting healthy parents um, to produce healthier puppies. And that, that's the only way that we're going to decrease the incidence of genetic disease um, in all dogs. Right. And so, so when we're talking about breeding, if you're talking, you know, we're, we're talking a lot on this show about puppy mills, which, as you mentioned before, a lot of times those dogs are bred for pure economic reasons. They're bred to look a certain way because they know that, hey, this, this type of dog, like Dalmatians, for example, after 101 Dalmatians came out, that was a huge breed to go and, and buy for your, for your family. And then all of a sudden, all of these recurring genetic diseases that were available, that were there, because in irresponsible breedings, those are perpetrated. Is that right? Right. Right. So, so, but let me also, you know, because I've been involved in this, in this discussion for a long time, you know, let's talk a little bit about, about what is going on because 44% of American families own at least one dog. Mm-hmm. And in terms of purebred breeders uh, that are members of dog clubs and show dogs and those types of things, they cannot produce a fraction of the dogs that are required for American families that want a dog in, the, in their household. Mm-hmm. And stray dogs and shelters cannot supply that demand either. So there are people that are commercial breeders mm-hmm. that are breeding as a business um, that have kennels and, and breed dogs, and many of these are breeding crossbred dogs because that's what they'll, they'll breed whatever America's asking for. Sure. And so if, if America wants crossbred dogs, that's what they're breeding. Right now, America wants rescues, and, and, and there is a huge rescue breeding operation, operation that goes on in America of dogs that are being purposely bred for rescue and shipped up north and shipped around the country as rescues, and people are happy because they're adopting a rescue, but they have to be purposefully bred because there's not enough dogs to rescue in America for what, what America wants right now. So the bottom line is dogs are being bred, period. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there's a right way to breed and there's a wrong way to breed. And if breeders are not looking for healthy parents to breed and, and selecting against allergies, against hip dysplasia, against dogs that have cruciate ligament issues and all the other common disorders, um, slipping kneecaps and eye problems, um, then, then we're going to continue to have these genetic diseases in America, in our dogs. And, and, it's, and these are preventable diseases if people practice health-conscious breeding. And, and I speak to commercial breeders that are all doing that screening and are doing a good job, but there are puppy mills and people that are just in it for the money and don't care what they produce. And I think that, that's, that's what you were talking about yeah. today and, and, and want to really, really 
focus on. Well, and I think for, for the, just the com- common person that's listening in, you know, who's not a physician, who's, who's not a, a, a vet, sorry, a veterinarian or, or in the biz, as it were, and you're kind of like, well, how do I know? How do I know it's, it's a, a responsibly bred dog? I mean, what, what should they do if they're wanting to well, get a purebred or, or a designer breed? Well, you know, the bottom line is is that the the public is is the engine that's 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 driving this forward. If if they're going to purchase, you know, purchase dogs without asking about the health testing and about mm-hmm. about the health uh, uh, consciousness of the breeding, uh, then then the system is just going to continue to move forward without without an engineer. And and so it's it's enlightening the public as to what health conscious breeding is and and asking for the proper health tests on dogs. If it is a purebred breeding, uh, we have established um, the breed clubs have have established what the proper pre-breeding screening should be for each breed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if, if it's a mixed breeding, then just understanding that, that the parents have to be healthy and they still need their hips checked and they still need their kneecaps checked and their eyes checked um, for dogs that are going to be used for breeding. Um, and there are, are plenty of, of cheap ways to do these screenings. There are screening clinics where ophthalmologists and, and cardiologists and, and all the sorts of specialists are available to do these screenings um, uh, very cheaply. And uh, it doesn't impact the, the economics of breeding, but it does impact the health of what is being produced and, mm-hmm. and being sold to the public as members of their family. I just, I was just curious, I mean, just from just a pure geeky science way, what would happen if, 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 if we humans weren't involved with the breeding of dogs at all? If it was just kind of like let go as you know, nature would have it kind of thing. Would, would help these health problems and these genetic disorders, would they fade away with natural selection? Um, they would not. We see hip dysplasia in wolves. We, we see it in, uh, we see it in uh, street dogs. And, and there's lots of studies on street dogs from around the world. You know, a street dog ends up being a, a you know, around a 40-pound brown dog. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know that, that, that's what it all ends up being, you know, if they're left to their own devices, that, that's what the dominant sizes and, and colors and things are going to be. And uh, so we see them around the world, and, and there are differences between them based on what the backgrounds are, but that's kind of what you're, what you're left with. Um, and and they, have, they have these diseases. If the disease doesn't cause an inability to reproduce or, or causes them to die, then they're still going to reproduce, and, mm-hmm. and these things are going to be transmitted. And uh, um, so, so it is, it's not that because we've intervened that these diseases occur. It's, it's that these diseases are out there. And, uh, um, and certainly if we're breeding for bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier mm-hmm. dogs, you have much more um, orthopedic diseases. And so if you're not screening, you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, but, but they're still going to be there. I, I see hip dysplasia in little dogs all the time. And, and many of these dogs are very painful with it. Yeah, yeah, and so, I. So let me yeah, go let ahead. me tell you that there there is a not for profit uh, foundation that I actually am uh, on the board of directors of, and because I believe in their mission uh, to to decrease the incidence of genetic diseases in, in in all companion animals, but they do focus on dogs, and that is the OFA, um, and their website is is OFA.org. 
And if you go to the website, it's, it's a very user-friendly website that is, you know, if you're an owner or if you're a breeder or if you're a veterinarian, there are tabs for you to click, you know, what are the testable disorders in each individual breed, which gives you information of what types of testing you need to ask a breeder um, if they've done, if you're looking at a particular breed. Um, it, it talks about uh, healthy breeding and, and breeding against genetic disease. Um, and so there's a lot of very helpful information on that on that website. And awesome. again, it's a, it's a not-for-profit organization. None of the board of director members like myself get paid at all. Um, but but it, it is a mission that we all have to try to improve the genetic health of dogs. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for that information. That's really great. Thank, and thank you ta- for your time today. It's been a real pleasure and, and I've learned a lot. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Now hang tight, folks, because up next we have Steve Dale from Pet World. He's going to come back on the show, and he's going to talk about some of the specific horrors that are going on in puppy mills right now and and to what Dr. Bell was talking about, why they're still around. But he's also going to talk about what communities are doing right now to fight these types of places and to and to basically help us get back to more responsible breeding and away from irresponsible breeding. And that's what's coming up next on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Pet Lover Geek. I've asked my friend Steve Dale. He is a well-known certified animal behavior consultant. He's an author of the very popular blog, SteveDalePetWorld.com. He's the host of two national uh, radio shows and he he's come on today and I'm really excited he's going to come on today and talk with us about puppy mills and what's being done to get rid of them Steve thanks so much for joining me today I'm happy to be here 
Well, let's just let's start with background, because I think some people probably have some assumptions about what a puppy mill is. Maybe they have a basic idea about what puppy mills are. But I really want to dig deeper. I want to talk about what what are those key factors that define puppy mill versus reputable breeder? Because some people think, oh, every dog comes from a puppy mill, but that's not true. So what makes a puppy mill a puppy mill? Well, that's absolutely not true. You're correct. So first of all, if you go into, and you may hear me say this several different times in several different ways, at the end of the day, if you go into a pet store, and this is the educational part of it, because, well, more people understand what I'm about to say than ever before. Most, I would argue, do not. I mean, I'm talking about not necessarily your audience, but most people. If you go into a pet store, no responsible breeder that I've ever met, I've ever known of sells to a pet store because they want to know who is going to purchase their animals mm-hmm. as opposed to a miller. It's like a factory. Uh, the, the dogs, both the males and the females are there for one purpose. And that is to breed mm-hmm. very often. What they breed isn't uh, what they say it is. So they may say it's a multi poo, but nowadays we could do the genetic test. And we find out there's Maltese maybe, but no poodle in that dog. Mm. Or maybe the poodle in that dog goes back generations. Well, more important than anything else is the way these dogs are treated. Um, They live on, uh, oftentimes, on wire uh, their entire lives. Mm. They have very little interaction with people, except maybe the one person who comes in to feed them substandard food. Remember, they're there only to breed. If there's a medical problem uh, related to the breeding of that animal or a medical problem that may occur in general, there oftentimes is no veterinary care. At the end of life, it is not usually appropriate euthanasia. It is a baseball bat or Mm -hmm. maybe worse, or they're led to die. Uh, they're standing on wire their entire lives. That's not good. But what's worse is they're standing in their own feces and their own urine very often, or the urine drips through to the dog below them. Mm. We've all seen all of these television shows depicting puppy mills. It is as bad or worse than you see. There was one occasion where rescuers recently in Indiana came in to rescue some dogs at, in a mill. The, Oxygen was so bad they had to wear gas masks because of the urine, the ammonia oh, smell that had built up over time, over time, over time without any appropriate ventilation at all. Even with those masks on, several of the rescuers needed to be hospitalized. And these dogs are living in it every day. The rescuers that were there for maybe a half hour with mask on. And they uh, had to be hospitalized. It's absolutely deplorable. And I, I just have to say, why are we even having this conversation? Because like you said, we've seen the videos. I mean, it's not like it's something that nobody's ever heard of. This has clearly been in the news. There was a recent, uh, you know, disease issue with puppies that were coming from some of these places in from stores. And we, why are we having this conversation still? Why is it still so prevalent? We keep them in business uh, by... Uh, unknowingly purchasing at pet stores and oftentimes online. Mm. So these millers have gotten very smart. They've created websites. Some have even called themselves 5013C Rescues. (laughs) And they answer the questions the way in which we'd want them answered. So are the dogs carefully bred? Of course they are. Are they socialized? Of course they are. Yet you're not allowed to go there. Mm -hmm. If, If a facility doesn't allow you to see that breeding facility, 
And really, an in-home breeder isn't a facility. It's a house with maybe kennels. But mm-hmm. if the person or the people don't allow you to go, that's a huge red flag right there. Ask questions beyond what you see online. Now, why aren't laws enforced? I, I can't answer that question. We do have laws. The Department of Agriculture is supposed to be watching this stuff. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has gone in the opposite direction by taking down information, public information, public information, removing it from the website. And that, that's a recent I, I thing, right? That's the newest administration yeah. that's done that, right? Yeah. 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 We could get into a whole nother conversation about that. Well, I mean, yeah, but, well, we can. But to me, I, I don't care about the politics right. of this one. All I know is these places exist in a nation mm-hmm. where more than half of the people with the dog sleep with their dog in their bed. I right. mean, this should not this should not be. Acceptable. It shouldn't even be. A thing most Americans, it, it isn't acceptable. So what people have done quite organically is they've gathered online they created what's now called the Puppy Mill Project, which mm-hmm. is now a 5013C, but it really happened online quite organically where people have said enough is enough. And one thing we can do is limit or actually prevent dogs and cats uh, being sold to pet stores in our communities. And today, well over 200 communities in America, as well as some in Canada, have said, uh, uh, no, we're not going to allow it. I'm talking about San Diego, Chicago. I mean, major, major, I could, Toronto, I could rattle them off. Major cities, as well as smaller towns, all over. And uh, maybe as we speak, another town is being added because it's happening all the time. Right, and, and isn't there a the statewide pe- ban? Pe- the, I think there's a statewide ban in no, California, right? I thought there was going to be a statewide right. ban in California. That's on the books to, to vote on it. Absolutely. So in California, they will be, I hope, and I do believe, the first state to say. So in a few counties have stepped up, Mm -hmm. over 200 cities, municipalities have stepped up, and California may be the first state where there are already, I don't know, like 15 or 20 cities in that state that have said no dogs or cats allowed to be sold in pet stores in our state. Now the entire state may jump on board. I hope they do. Well, so and, I, and and this is a conversation. It's a rather hot button topic when you talk to some people, and and there's actually people that I've talked to who say, "Hey, listen, this is great that we're trying to get rid of puppy mills, but if if we start, you know, banning breeders and and making it so that that puppies can't be sold, which is not what I know is not what you're talking about, but that's kind of the hyperbole that comes out of these discussions. We're going to end up so that there will be no dogs in you know some decades in the future. I mean, what do you think about all that? Because that is one of the discussions that's happening out there on online right now I, I'd like to see those discussions and talk with those people because that's not true uh, the, the, there are various factions if you will and and one of those factions uh, is only supportive of rescue dogs and dogs from shelters and well mm-hmm. I am absolutely supportive I am also respo- supportive of responsible breeders and I think there is science to demonstrate that we do need responsible breeders if we're going to keep dogs as we know them around. Also, all that aside, in my personal opinion, we live in America, and people have rights to do what they want to do. So Mm -hmm. if someone wants an English setter or uh, an American Cocker Spaniel, a Boston Terrier, all purebred dogs or Mm -hmm. any other purebred dog, I feel, well, if there's uh, supply and demand, if there's still demand for that, 
that's fine. I mean, people have a right to get what they want to get. What, what we don't have a right to do is to treat animals exceedingly, not just inhumanely, exceedingly inhumanely, which these puppy mills do. Mm -hmm. uh, the notion that uh, getting rid of puppy mills and preventing dogs and cats from being sold at pet stores will somehow impact responsible breeders who would never sell to a pet store anyway, that's ridiculous. And they're kind of scare tactics that are being put out by organizations like, frankly, the American Kennel Club. Right. Now, and, that, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm alluding to is to some of these conversations that have been had online when every time a ban discussion comes up, you get the counter, you know, chatter of, oh, my gosh, we can't do this. We can't regulate all these things because puppies will go away forever, which I think is ridiculous. But I'm glad you do. Too. Well, you know, you know what, Lorian, uh, and incidentally, you're quite an excellent interviewer. But y you know what? I, I would love it. They, they won't do it on my platforms. Uh, but maybe on yours they will. I would love to have on the other end of the phone a representative from the American Kennel Club on mm -hmm. with an explanation that makes some sense to me and actually have a conversation uh, about all of this. I don't want to rid the world of pedigree dogs, not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do, in fact, in fact, I'm supportive of responsible breeders. It seems to be they're not supportive of responsible breeders because no responsible breeder would ever sell the way irresponsible breeders sell animals and irresponsible breeders sell animals without any uh, notion or caring about who purchases that animal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I am also, I, I think you know this, I'm a huge Boston Terrier fan. I have a Boston Terrier in my life now. I will have a Boston Terrier in my life, hopefully, for my entire life. And, uh, you know, I, I see Boston Terriers every now and then advertise, you know, $450, $500. I'm telling you right now, if you see that kind of a price advertise, that is not a reputable breeder that's putting out that Boston Terrier. So I want to ask real quick, what can people do? They're sitting at home. They're disgusted by what they've heard from you about puppy mills. What can they do right now to help? Veterinary professionals against puppy mills. It's not only about veterinarians. It's, it's about all of us. It's a uh, Facebook page we created. It's also a non-for-profit. Uh, so I'm giving you the quick answers. One is to simply like that Facebook page where information is posted all the time. Another is to follow what the puppy mill project is doing. Uh, and to try to, if your municipality hasn't already done so, jump on board, mm -hmm. uh, get involved, and limit and prevent uh, pet stores in your community from selling dogs and cats. Awesome. Such great information, Steve. So important. Thank you so much for helping us get the word out. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Now stick around, my fellow pet-loving geeks. I know some of you might be interested, much like me, in having one particular breed in your life. So in our segment, we are going to explore how you research rescuers that do deal with uh, purebred dogs and how you research breeders to make sure that you are getting a healthy, wonderful pet to come into your family and not supporting puppy mills. That is what is coming up next on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? 
It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, pet lovers. Up next, we are going to talk to the founder of a wonderful rescue organization in Washington State that is not only helping dogs that have been in puppy mill type situations, but she's also helping to rescue and find home for dogs that are otherwise deemed unadoptable. Her name is Jamie McAtee, and her organization is Rescue for All in Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want you to start, because I think your story and your background of how you started is, is, is really touching. I want you to, to tell me a little bit about why you started Rescue for All. So I started Rescue for All um, when there was the whole demise of the financial industry. I happened to be a wholesale rep for a mortgage company, and I lost my job, and my company went bankrupt. And it was the first time ever in my life that I had ever not had a job. And so I found myself in this kind of depression, and I couldn't find a job because no one was hiring. And I just decided to pull myself up by my bootstraps and essentially just find something that resonated with with me. And um, I started volunteering at a local animal shelter here called the Spokane Humane Society. And it was, you know, it started off with just going in and walking dogs and playing with kittens. And the first day that I actually went in for my um, volunteer orientation, I actually came home with three unadoptable ringworm foster kittens <laughs> who would otherwise um, not be, you know, able to exist in a shelter environment. So they sent me home with those, and I quickly got the bug for fostering the animals that no one else really wanted to foster. So the dogs with the hemodactic mange, the, you know, skin conditions and behavioral issues and then the longer that I 
volunteered there, I realized I, I did a brief stint of working there um, as an employee and trying to make my passion um, my money, and that's not how it really works in animal welfare. So mm-hmm. I just was seeing a lot of these dogs that um, were deemed unadoptable in a shelter environment because of something like along the lines of adjusting their bite um, on a tug toy in a play yard and accidentally, you know, scraping someone's thumb. And no other rescue would step up and take them. And these are great dogs. And so that was my biggest thing is I'm not going to let a liability issue with a dog I believe in end their life. So I want you. That's pretty much how I got started in it, and I think that's amazing because I, that whole idea about the unadoptable dog, the un, you know unadoptable kitten, and everything that I, I, it makes me really sad just to hear that, and I want you mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about that label because it's entirely not true. Um, the, a lot of these dogs, you and folks like you, are able to work with them and help them get into forever homes despite some of the behavior or medical issues that they might have. So can you talk a little bit about that label and what you're doing to try to, you know, work against that? Yeah. So we don't consider any um, animal, quote, unadoptable. For us, you know, I personally evaluate every dog that comes into our program. Um, We're primarily a dog rescue. We, you know, take the random cat. Um, We do have a, we had a couple horses. We have one now. Um, And so we kind of try and do what we can, but we're a foster home based organization. So I really have to be aware of what I'm setting people up with. So the majority of the dogs that we take are the quote, unadoptable or behavior modification dogs are dogs that have not been properly socialized. They were taken away from their litter litter too early. They didn't learn bite inhibition. They didn't learn that, you know, strangers and, you know, random things aren't scary. And so, you know, there's, there's the behavior modification of unadoptable. And then there is the medical side of unadoptable where we have these dogs that come from backyard breeders who don't genetic test their dogs. And we specialize in a medical condition that is 100% genetic in puppies, and it's called uh, idiopathic megaesophagus. And it's a genetic defect that is not breed-specific. It runs any breed, and these are animal dogs that are typically can happen to anyone with an esophagus, but these dogs, you know, need someone who knows what they're doing. And it's something that I'm passionate about. I bought, I was one of the people, I bought a German shepherd from a backyard breeder 11 years ago and I brought him home, paid $450 for an unpapered German shepherd by this guy. And um, he had mega esophagus and that was my very first mega dog. And it's just kind of been something to where if you know how to do it and it's not that hard and you do your homework and you're just diligent, it's, it's pretty easy. And most of these mega esophagus dogs that I take in have the biggest personalities and just have the most amazing, you know, just the way that they are. It's, it's tragic that they typically are euthanized by, you know, veterinarians who tell their people it's going to be too hard or they're going to fail to thrive or what have right, you. So yeah. it's, it's kind well, of what does mega esophagus mean, though? What does that mean? I, I, cause so I, I'm not familiar with it. So mega esophagus is a genetic defect where their esophagus is wider, sometimes longer, and it doesn't have the muscularity to pull food down. So us humans, as vertical eaters, it we can get it, but it's not an issue because we eat vertical. So gravity does a lot of the work. So with dogs who are horizontal eaters, you kind of have to teach them how to sit 
um, when they eat and whether that's in a begging position in a, what some people call a Bailey chair. I don't personally use Bailey chairs. We've had 17 mega esophagus dogs in our rescue that have come through and I don't use Bailey chairs. I use practical working knowledge. So um, they either eat sitting at the table or they'll eat sitting um, where I teach them to sit with their feet up on the table and then they will eat with a bowl in front of them. So they're still sitting in a begging position, but you don't have to lug around this 80-pound Bailey chair with you where right. you go when you're yeah. on vacation. Right. So it's just something to where the esophagus, the GI tract, your entire esophageal from the time that food enters your mouth to where it goes into your esophageal sphincter, it's based on involuntary muscle contractions and pressure. So these dogs don't have the involuntary muscle contraction to create the pressure for the esophageal sphincter at the top of your stomach to open. So they slowly starve to death from the time that they're born. Wow. And then until they have someone who diagnoses them, feeds them the correct way, then, you know, it just kind of, they basically, they die. They die. Yeah, they have that f- failure to thrive thing going on. Okay, so let's say that somebody uh, is looking at what you do. They're really touched by what you're doing. And they say, you know, maybe, maybe I want to adopt one of these dogs with special needs. But I'm sure that they're probably nervous about it. How do you help a, a new pet parent that maybe is thinking about doing this, or, or maybe even a pet parent that's had other pets but is thinking about adopting a one with special needs? So we are super, super hands-on with our adoptions, and so we go in, we do the home visits, we really talk with people, and especially with our special needs dogs, so our mega esophagus dogs, or even our behavior issue dogs, we are very open and honest about what these people are getting into. So we are 100% transparent. So if it's a behavior issue, we give them everything that they need to know up front. We work with them. If it's a matter of them, we call our... Um, are it's dating. So you're dating in the beginning. So you have <laughs> right. your first date to see if you, you know, we've all had that tragic first date where you're like, I do not want to go out with this person again. And it's like <laughs> that with some dogs and it's right. no harm, no foul. So we do a date. And then from there we progress to your second date. And some people's second dates and, you know, include a sleepover. Um, and some people's <laughs> they're just, we take it a little bit slower. Right. So it's a very easy, it's a very easy way for people to understand our processes that we equate it to something that most everybody does is dating. So, um, we do that. And so with the mega esophagus dogs, we, you know, I have them watch a video that I've done. It's pretty long. Um, but we have them watch the video and I have them do their research and then come back to me with questions that they have in regards to, you know, different ways of feeding, different consistencies. So that's the mega esophagus stuff. I'm super hands-on with that because it's something I'm passionate about. Right. The behavior dogs, we always set them up with, um, we're super, you know, everything that I tell people is because I did it wrong in the beginning. So when people go home with a behavior modification dog, we are very much like, here's your do's and don'ts list for this dog. You know, you drag a leash for the first two weeks that a dog comes home with you 24-7 unless they're in their crate because it eliminates you from having to make a super aggressive move to their neck. You can grab six feet of leash and coax them back. So just little things like that that people don't generally think about because they're used to their happy-go-lucky dog who's never had an issue that they've raised as a puppy. So we just try and be as transparent and open and honest and give them all of the resources. Everyone goes home with a leash collar, um, a week's worth of food, a crate, um, any bedding that they've had. So really they can go in and make an unpressured decision and have the ability to ask the questions to people who know the dogs the best. That's just tremendous. I, that's, that's a really, 
I love the way that you guys do that because I think a lot of people might be a little nervous at first. And, and like, you know, like you mentioned, I'm sure a lot of these dogs that you're getting are actually purebred dogs. And a lot of people are wanting mm-hmm. a purebred dog. But this is a way that you can do it without having to go, A, buy it from one of those backyard breeders or a dog, you know, um, store or whatever. And, and talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that. I mean, we only have a couple more minutes. But the problem with a lot of these dogs or all of these dogs really is that unrestricted breeding and, and so talk a little bit about that. So what it comes down to is, you know, we are not anti-breeders. So if you can find a reputable breeder who actually does the genetic testing, the OFA certification on their hips, elbows, and knees, and the stress test on their hearts, lungs, and eyes, fantastic. But most people are like, I'm not paying $2,000 for a dog. I'd rather buy one from the guy who's selling the puppies at the Walmart parking lot for 100 bucks. A guy who's selling the Walmart puppies is a backyard breeder or, worst case, a puppy mill breeder. So that's the biggest issue is that people don't understand the very, very polarizing differences between when you pay $100 for someone who is selling a puppy at a parking lot or in, you know, on Craigslist or something like that to where you're condoning with your money for these people who are only breeding dogs for money to continue doing their practices. Whereas if you adopt a dog, um, even if they're not purebred, I'm not a fan of purebreds just because they typically have a lot more health issues because their genetic pool is very finite. Right. Um, So when you go through and you actually buy from a reputable breeder who they are passionate about, like promoting the breed, bettering the breed, they're, you know, they're, they're breeding pairs are always not papered paper doesn't mean anything but if they're championships where they're actually showing their dogs and they're doing all of these things those are the people that yes absolutely if you want a golden retriever or what have you buy from those people that's fine but when you're buying from the people who are selling the dogs for 450 dollars on craigslist it's a lab and then you buy that puppy yeah and you bring it home and it can't swallow and they say well you can bring it back and you know we'll cull it And that's different. And so people need to kind of really educate themselves on, you know, when you're condoning something with your money, you're still condoning the practice, even though you may not agree with it. That's it's so important for people to hear that. And I'd like for them to learn more. Can you tell us where they can find you on the Web? Yeah, you can find us at, on our website, which is www.rescuethenumber4all.org. Or we're on Facebook, which is, again, the Rescue for All dot. Awesome. And we're on also on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Stick around, pet lovers. We're going to talk to some more incredible uh, organizations around the United States that are helping to fight puppy mills. And we're going to talk about a lot of that next on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric EZ Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, pet lovers. We're going to wrap up today's show discussing some of the incredible advocacy work that's being done right now to help bring an end to the practice of puppy mills. And we're also going to talk about what you can do to help personally. So I've invited Carrie Myers. She's the founder and president of the Puppy Mill Project to share with us what her organization is doing about this fight against puppy mills and also, like I mentioned, how you can play a role in ending these cruel practices. So welcome to the show, Carrie. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'd like you to just kind of give us a little bit of an overview of why you started this organization. What drove you to do this? Excuse me. I it's, it's such a boring story, but honestly, one night I was just on the Internet fooling around, and I came to a site that discussed puppy mills. I had never, ever heard of them, like a vast majority of the population, mm-hmm. started reading about it, and decided I needed to do something about it. Awesome. Couldn't let it go. And, and when did you start? 2009. Great. So you've been around a while. You kind of, you probably know all the ins and outs of everything puppy mill at this point. I think, and like you said, not everybody knows about them. I think we've heard about them more and more the last few years, especially with some of the legal work that Steve was talking about earlier in the show that's being done against them. But still, a lot of people are really kind of clueless about what's the problem um, because they don't understand a lot of it. So are puppy mills actually illegal? Is there in, Are there any regulations or laws that they're actually breaking? Um, there are minimal laws. The only thing they are supposed to abide by is something very vague um, in the Animal Welfare Act. And, and it's, it's, they don't even abide by that. And it's very basic, adequate food, shelter, water. But mm-hmm. the way it's written is what is adequate to one person is certainly not adequate to another. A Miller and I are going to disagree what is sufficient for a dog. Right, And that's all they have to do. They're perfectly legal as long as they abide by those standards of care, which they don't anyway, because inspection is so haphazard, they have really not much to worry about. Right. So pardon the pun, but there's no teeth in the laws that are there. No, there really isn't. I mean, it doesn't protect these animals in any way, shape or form. Well, and in reality, that's. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the oversight comes under the USDA, mm-hmm. and because of their lack of inspectors, or uh, I would say inspectors that are really going to do something about the cruelty that they see, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that all has to change from the bottom up or top down. 
Well, and there's an economic driver here, too. I mean, and, and it's what we see, frankly, in a lot of the political decisions that are made and getting laws done. It's all like, what's the economic driver? And there's a dynamic that's between these pet stores and the folks that sell these puppies and the puppy mill. Can you explain a little bit about that relationship? Well, it, it is, it's always money over morals. In, in this particular industry, and this is a very, we're talking about large-scale animal cruelty here. So mm-hmm. you have a miller, and we don't call them breeders. We call them millers because they're milling a product. It's mm-hmm. basically what they're doing. They either sell their puppies to a broker who's like the middleman, mm-hmm. and the broker then sells to the pet store. It's, it's almost like having a personal shopper if you wanted a certain pair of shoes. And you call this person and you say, I want to... Cavachon or a Yorkie poo, and I need it by Tuesday. Boom! Mm-hmm. And the broker goes out to his millers and delivers that to the pet store. What kind and of everybody makes money? And what kind of money are we talking about? I mean, do you have any kind of a, a notion about what the market size is? Well, I can just tell you that I was notified about a, a teacup which there's no such thing, Pomeranian yesterday, that a young lady spent $2,800 on in a pet store. And, you know, various problems and sicknesses, illnesses that this dog has, it's two pounds, Mm. a little under two pounds. So the probability of him having some sort of issues is is very high. Mm -hmm. So everybody makes, but mostly, most of the money is made at the pet store. Right. So you're talking about a miller getting a couple hundred and then the middleman, he's getting money. And then you have the pet store who's selling this for thousands of dollars because these are designer breeds. Yeah, and, and you, they let you believe that's a positive, right? And 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 I know that what I, one of the things that I've seen, kind of in the industry, I get all the industry, you know, magazines and things like that, is you, you'll see. Um, clearly representatives of the store saying, oh my gosh, if we stop breeding, if we make breeding illegal, which of course is not what people are trying to do with mills, but if we make breeding illegal, we're going to run out of pets. We're going to run out of animals that people (laughs) want and you can't, you know, you're hurting business so much. And, you know, it's, 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 it's almost like the same as, you know, what you hear like the oil industry and those kind of things of, oh my gosh, if we stop doing this, then we're going to run out of fuel. And it's not, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but that's certainly the story that they're giving um, much of the public. Well, you know, the stories that they give the public, we always say, don't buy the lie. We've been saying that since we started. And, it, you know, it starts from the beginning that these aren't puppy mill dogs and they're healthy and they're guaranteed and blah, 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 blah. So anything that really comes out of their mouth is, is, is basically a lie. Right. There's enough dogs in the world. How about, you know, the thousands that are put down every single day? What, right. 6,000 or more dogs every day. That's mind boggling. And there's going to be of dogs and we're not talking about breeders here right we're talking about millers and the millers need to stop they're diluting the breeds they're breeding unhealthy dogs and they're deceiving the public these are not healthy dogs well and the bottom line is there are going to be people who want specific breeds i myself have a a deep love of boston terriers i hope i always have a boston terrier in my life but Mm -hmm. one of the Mm -hmm. one of the things that is put out there is well you know if you want a really good well-bred boston terrier you're going to have to be willing to pay two three grand but what you just said just there is i could go to a store and probably pay two to three grand for a boston terrier and i'm gonna think well i'm paying for this i'm paying really high price so this has got to be a good dog so it's not just about price what what do I do as, you know, just a standard everyday person who just has a love of a breed and I really would love to own, you know, have that breed as in my family. What do I do when I'm going out there? How, well, how do I know? Yeah. 
you don't go to a pet store. You go, do <laughs> not go one. to an internet site. You just don't do that because right now, if you're in a pet store, you're looking at puppy mill dogs no matter what they tell you mm-hmm. because there isn't a private breeder that will sell to a pet store because they want to know where their dogs are going. And the same online. So you have to either, you have to contact probably a breed club mm-hmm. and go through them to get a reputable breeder. Reputable breeders are pretty fussy about where their animals are going. So they're not out there advertising or selling to a pet store and never to see those puppies again and never to know who's buying them. Mm-hmm. They just don't work. And they will get thrown out of the breed club, too, if they do that. They, they, they cannot do it. So if you love a breed, make nice with the local breed club and <laughs> start, from yeah. there, start from there. And be willing to travel, too. I know that where I live, I, I couldn't get a Boston Terrier locally. I would probably have to go uh, out of state to get it and be willing to put that investment into it, um, for sure. Or uh, work with the local rescue, a purebred rescue, because there's tons of purebred rescues out there. Well, that's always our preference, you know. Yeah. I mean, adoptions are option, let's say. And we really, really feel strongly like about that because you know everybody has a not everybody but there are little misconceptions about rescues Mm -hmm. and dogs and shelters that they're damaged and you don't know their story and this is not true you know dogs are given up for a lot of reasons and luckily they'll be rescued right so you know the ones in the mills aren't aren't so lucky they will sit and die in a cage just churning out puppies for their entire life. I have a mill dog who was in a cage for eight years. Oh, she was a mom. Eight years in in a cage. So all these people that are out there screaming about the mills and they're okay and you know backing the millers and I guarantee you they'd never let their dog sit in one of the cages in one of those puppy mills for a week. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't happen because the cruelty is is just so unbelievable. All right, so so we've talked a little bit about okay, like I, you, even if you love the breed, like here's the ways to get it responsible. Let's get it responsibly. What else can people do to help folks like you fight puppy mills? Oh gosh, there's so much. Volunteer, help us. Volunteer, do fundraising for us. Do you know? Spread the word. We go into the schools. We have educational programs. We want to tell the kids when they're little about mm-hmm. the, the places these dogs are coming from. You know, we have all kinds of age-appropriate um, uh, p- uh, presentations. We even go into the colleges. We're going to be in a vet school next week. So that's it. Get out there. Spread the word. Tell somebody. You know, see what you can do, um, what makes you comfortable. Some people like to do special events. Some people like to do community events. You know, do a table mm-hmm. at a community event. So many things. Contact the, the groups that are doing this. And financially, we always need help. We're always fighting this fight. It's, it's a war. <laughs> it really is a war in this country because it is backed by the agricultural community. And, you know, that these, these animals, these, these parts of our heart, these parts of our family, they are classified as, as agriculture. Mm-hmm. So help us change that. You know, these are the little guys sleeping in their beds and kissing our kids in the face. It's not agriculture. They're right. family. Members. They're not livestock. Yeah. Well, so tell people where they can go. Tell people where they can go online to find out more about what you do. They can go to the puppymillproject.org and they can see lots of ways to volunteer and get get the word out in their community. Thank you it's so really much. It's really important because this has been under the radar for too long. 
I agree. I absolutely agree. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Carrie. Really important stuff. Folks, make sure you check out puppymillproject.org. Uh, and that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. But before I go, I want to thank all the guests that we had on today's show, Dr. Gerald Bell, Steve Dale, and Jamie McAtee. Really great information from everyone on puppy mills and some of the things that we can do to help stop these really poor, destructive, and cruel breeding practices. Now, we hope you join us in the upcoming weeks because we've got a lot of fun shows coming up. We're going to look at toys and activities for enrichment for our pets' lives. We've got a dog episode and a cat episode. And we are going to talk about how to stay safe this winter. That's coming up soon on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America. Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek. Please join your host, Lorian Clemens, for another edition on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go grab your best friend and take them out and enjoy the rest of your weekend.